and gentlemen, welcome to the Tom, Dick and Hyman show. I'm Tom. I'm Hyman. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about the internet. Welcome to Radio Europe, Freedom Tower. Yeah, we're going to be talking about how uh, the, there's this sort of myth about the internet. I call it uh, internet utopianism, cyber utopianism. Where this Sasquatch like, lives. Oh, really? Oh, this idea that... Um, the internet can solve everything. It's our saviour. It's the fix for everything. I mean, to be honest, forget eating the blue pill. I'm having spaghetti of fibre optics for me. <laughs> and um, we're also going to be discussing the internet's impact on us as individuals, our interactions with the internet. All hail our master, the beep. And uh, whether or not we have the right approach to the internet, and maybe we want to rethink things a little bit. I don't even think I have an approach to it, it just is. Yeah, all of that coming up in a little bit. Alright, uh... Hi, Mo, do you recall back in the late 90s... Wait, are you talking about the day? Back in the day, yeah. Oh, that day. Do you remember the internet back in the late 90s and um, our attitudes towards it? I remember having a very f- familiar flashing box in the corner next to the computer that if you touched it any type of way, the internet would go down. I remember just if someone called the house, if someone rung the fu- uh, the house phone. Yes. Yeah, you just got disconnected. But, <laughs> but I mean, we had no idea what the internet really was. We didn't really know how to think about it. And because it was an unknown, we used to have a, a healthy skepticism, a healthy fear of it. I'm still... Borderline paranoia, I guess, but... Yeah, I mean... It, to the it, extent of... Do you remember people we used to always uh, say, don't ever use your bank card, your credit card or your debit card. Don't ever put your debit card details into a website because hackers will steal your money and deplete your account. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you still had uh, uh, <laughs> the, the the old school movies on it, it was uh, showing the internet as you're gonna, like they're going to get inside your computer and dig it out and get all this information out of you. That's completely changed. Now. I was going to say, when do you think it changed? I don't, I don't remember when that changed. I remember because I mean, Amazon started, I didn't know about Amazon in the mid nineties, but that's when it started as like a online store, mm. right? Selling, I think just books. I mean, I mean, yeah, definitely something like Amazon or eBay where they mm, legitimized yeah. a marketplace. And I think um, PayPal, was that 2003-ish? Yeah, yeah, PayPal as well, that that uh, money interchange. Yeah, I think it was around maybe early noughties then. But our attitudes today, like, we're so comfortable with our bank details, our account details being online to the extent that we will, we will allow websites to save it. I mean, mm. I know, I think technically it's not really saved in the kind of sense of it being saved that in a hard flash drive memory, or isn't something it? like that, yeah. But just the fact that we'll go into Amazon now and, you know, one-click buying. Yeah. Oh. You don't even check what your bank details are or anything. You just click buy and it's just, yeah, on your way to you. The bane of uh, every Dave Gorman sketch, going like, I got drunk and then I bought something. But here's... 30 hours of me doing something crazy because of it. Yeah, and I think it started when we became completely comfortable with having our bank details online. That opened the gateway for basically everything else. Well, look, I'm okay with my bank details being online, so I'll be okay with my putting my date of birth into a website, my gender, my full name, my address. These are all the details someone could use to steal your identity, isn't it? I mean, date I'm of birth, address, age, mother's maiden name. Well, obviously, date of birth because you got digital online hackers 
are really clever. They can work that out from your age, the date of birth. Yeah. But you don't want to make it easy for them. They're going <laughs> to count backwards. If you've ever worked abroad, mm-hmm. chances are that your employer made an electronic, a digital copy of your passport. And that's probably sitting on a web server somewhere as well. Yes, I mean, in one sense, we're, we've willingly made ourselves almost entirely vulnerable. I mean, I understand I mean, there are internet securities, there are secure websites and yeah. things like that. But just how secure is it? But I mean, it's, as you said, like we've got digital copies of our identity on about, I mean, me, probably about a hundred different companies have a copy of something of mm. me. Employment history on LinkedIn. Yep, yep. It's indicative of the society we live in, where everyone has to see everything of you, yet we claim we want to have this privacy. I think Facebook, not just on their own, but predominantly, I think Facebook are behind this encourage, subtle encouragement that um, you should put more of yourself online, but also that... I um, see you like cats. Why don't you post photos of you with a cat? Kind of like, <laughs> no, I said my friend has a cute cat. Doesn't mean I like them. But yeah, but just like po- pictures of your cats, pictures of what you're having for dinner and lunch. Because I was reading, I've been reading a couple of books the last couple of weeks, all about the internet and how we probably need to rethink our view of it. I think the audience need to know, did you read the hard copy of them or did you read it on a Kindle? I did not read it on a Kindle. Where the NSA is watching you read it. That came out, didn't it, a couple of weeks ago, that um, ebook Amazon, I think, are going to basically stop yeah. with the Kindle e-reading stuff. Physical books, I think, outsell ebooks now again. But one book that I was reading is um, The Internet is Not the Answer by Andrew Keane. The other book is one that um, I think we've mentioned it before briefly, Evgeny uh, Morozov's uh, The Net Delusion. Those two books have basically influenced this episode, essentially. Were they good? Were they well written? I mean, this is just me wanting to know about the book. Yeah. We'll get into the detail in a second. I'd say so. Um, the Net Delusion, Evgeny Morozov was more fun to read, even though it was a little bit... I mean, both of them are kind of doom and gloom. They're both pessimistic yeah, like, by I'm, their nature of saying the internet is not the answer. The Net Delusion is more fun, but the internet is not the answer. Andrew Keane, he, like, he pulls it all together. It's kind of you know, leaving threads mm. throughout each chapter that then all come together at the end. It's quite... Yeah, they're both good. They're both definitely and, worth reading. Yeah, they're not perfect books. No, nothing There is. are criticisms, obviously. Like you say, all books are like that. These two books brought to my attention an idea that I hadn't really thought about before in the sense of how Facebook, Twitter, Google, they subtly encourage us to put more and more information on ourselves online, Mm. onto the internet. The reason they do this is obviously their services are offered to us for free at no cost, Mm. right? But what they get is information on me. Tons and tons of it. Like, I think they call it zettabytes. I think that's what's after gigabytes or terabytes. And so... What they do is they take your information and they sell it on to advertisers and marketing companies. And that's how they make their money, right? Wait, sell them on like in back alleys. You're like, I've got this hard drive with a million people's information on it. Do you want it? Do you want it all? In a sense, they're doing it without your knowledge, without your consent. And I thought... Wouldn't, isn't there a quick answer to that? It's kind of like, you signed the consent form, isn't that fine? Yeah, but nobody reads those user end-user oh, license well, agreements. You should have been like. a lawyer, shouldn't you, and read it all, I mean... I think it's completely unreasonable to expect humans who are of an adult age and can actually read to expect them to read. I mean, the idea is... That it's irrational. Their power comes from the masses. If enough people use it... But it's even more insidious than that, though. Okay. They talk a lot, like Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of and co-founder, inventor of the Facebook. He was kind of quoted as saying, oh, being on Facebook is about being authentic, right? Oh, okay. And that's the kind of subtle way they encourage you. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like, come on, show show some photos of your private life. and be, You want to be authentic, don't you? You want people to know you're authentic. Yeah, it's very 
much uh, the Japanese thing. There are three types of uh, individual. There's the person right. you show to the outsider, there's a person you show to the family and close to you, and there's a person you show to who you are. Because Zuckerberg, yeah, he even said there's only one true identity that we all have, which is bullshit. Of course it is. Everyone um, has multiple identities, not in the sense that they're chameleon-like, they're two-faced, it's not like that. No, but you can't be the same person with everyone else, because it comes down to context. I know you through work, I'm not going to, sh- you're not going to know everything about me. And I think we've joked in the past on the podcast as well about how um, offline, off of Facebook, there'll be people you work with who you think are really kind of fun, interesting people, and then you go to their Facebook profile and you end up hating them. Yeah. You think they're just complete pricks. Everyone uses their Facebook profile to kind of exhibit themselves a bit. I mean, and then that's what Facebook, it kind of, we all have a little desire to be a bit exhibitionist, a bit voyeuristic, mm. and Facebook tugs on those little threads. I mean, how do you use Facebook? Because I use it very much in a way of a, that I start a half conversation by saying, look, this is what I've posted. I might not even write a comment about the thing. I've just yeah. found it on a site and I've posted it to Facebook and I almost want other people to be intrigued and start a conversation with me. Yeah, but you're half asking it. You but I'm, saying, I am, yeah, I am. This is my opinion it. on this article. What do you guys think? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it feels a bit, sh- it feels a bit exactly. like campy I, and a bit, yeah, wanky. But it also it legitimizes it more. If I just come out and write a comment, right. it feels out of the blue. Yeah, but you you recognize you're not an expert on, well, none of us are experts on most subjects, right? And you're just kind of, yeah. you're linking to someone else's opinion who probably is maybe more educated in that subject. And True, but it, I, I still think it's cheap of me. Yeah, because people get, I find um, people get really pissy when they post an article, opinion yeah. piece, what have you, or they give their opinion directly, which you're too cowardly to do. If you come back, if you have a dissenting opinion, right? Oh, yeah, like you can be as respectful about it as you want. I respectfully disagree and here's why boop, boop, mm. boop. they get really pissed off with it why are you coming onto my wall to disagree with me like you know they're um, very possessive over their walls people are <laughs> there's that classic case of a boy I think it was like 16 named Sue I think it was like 16, 17 and he put um, you know uh, a picture meme yeah and it was a young attractive picture of a man on the right like not nude or anything like that right and so a young, like, a, like a model type thing yeah and a picture of a young attractive woman on the right hand side and on the left hand side is a list of prerequisites before you're considered attractive as a man okay, and I, so I, there's a list of like eight or nine things must be in good shape must have good job must I have car all this. this kind of like old cliche bollocks right yeah yeah. and then on the woman's side it's just don't be fat <laughs> <laughs> oh come on that, that's funny because that's a yeah. joke but the that's kids, a joke the kid's mother yeah. took extreme she took it fucking personally what yeah she said we, um, how dare you say this about me oh she like included herself in it and it's like look I don't think your son worries how, about how attractive <laughs> he is well if he is he should be worried that's a little worried but it illustrates the point of how people take these things really really personally but at the same time you're encouraged to share yourself with others but uh, inherent in that is some people are going to like what you're saying what you're doing mm. some people aren't going to like it I mean how do you use Facebook I mean is it very much like how oh, I use it yeah to answer your earlier question I use it 60% of the time to aggravate people posting you're, you poke people yeah I post articles that I'm fairly sure some people on my friends list are not going to like right <laughs> and it's not really trolling but it's just I'm aware that um, there was an experiment Facebook did unbeknownst to their users okay worrying where they experimented with controlling their users mood 
moods. Like they would kind of control the ratio of uplifting, happy stories versus depressing, uh, outrage-inducing articles, right? They would limit the number of happy ones. Yeah. And the, then it would the be BBC. like three to one on like the angry, yeah. you know, those articles, right? And what they found is that, yeah, you could make, they could make their users have a shitty day just by promoting really negative things on in their Facebook feed. Because as soon as I heard social media, right, I was like, well, mm. that's not me. I'm not, I'm antisocial for the most part. <laughs> So I, yeah, I had no interest in it. And then Anthony made me a profile, sent me the link to it, said, look, here's your password. I remember you could go, even people that weren't in your friends list, you could look at their photos. Yep. Yep. And I found myself the first time I went on Facebook. I was on it for about maybe 35 minutes, something like that. Well, at the end of the half hour, I found, like, I'm looking at a stranger's photos, right? Friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah, and of course, I've picked out the young girl. Like, well, not, <laughs> Let me rephrase. I picked out the young, young woman. women. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because I was like, oh, maybe there's, like, beach shots. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, there are You want to edit that out. <laughs> but there are beach shots. And yeah. I can just go, complete stranger, have no idea who she is. Mm. And I'm not, like, I'm not touching myself or anything like that. But it's just, like, no, a little bit of... It's the link within... With link within link it, it is alluring one curiosity of like would this website let me do that yeah plus two like, we all mm. love a bit of voyeurism everyone does right to varying degrees of course we, we all love a little bit of it but I think facebook we... like, like I say it really does appeal to us on that level the exhibitionist and the voyeuristic mm. i think social media in general right because our information is what they want they want to get us into a state where we are purging any desire for our own privacy are you kind of conscious then about how yeah these websites they just they just want information on me that's all they care about mm. just so they can get my information and sell it on and then basically they're treating you as their commodity like their value comes from you using their website i would say it's gone so far for me that i don't fear it but i recognize it right what about you it does since reading these two books yeah it does kind of bother me that but, I don't like but before a, that on a principle oh before that I really didn't pay any attention really I kind of bought into um, Facebook Twitter, what have you, social media is a good thing because a uh, long distance relationship. So if your family lives in a different country or what have you, like, that's, that's yeah, the, the internet answer. is great for things like that, right? Staying mm. in touch, long distance. Short distance, though, bit shit. <laughs> internet is in essence you've got to think of it as a public forum mm. anything you do it's not private it's not concealed so when you post something to your friend using social media it's not just your friend who sees it everybody sees it anyone anything you post to the internet someone else has access to can take can copy it steal it whatever do whatever they want with it spread it anywhere they want and you have to accept anything i post to the internet once it's on the internet it's out of my control to a certain extent i think a lot of people treat the internet and social media as going like it was me i was deciding to do it and if I want other people to see it, I wish I'll be the one controlling the gateway open to it. Yeah. What do you mean I haven't got the hand on the controller to open mm. the gateway? Yeah. You're doing it anyway. Uh, I've totally misunderstood it. Two days later, you do the exact same thing and you have the same argument again with yourself. I think not enough people view the internet that way. That it is a completely open public forum. Mm. Like You know how um, I hear a lot of people, mostly celebrities, right, will say this. Their Twitter account, their experience on Twitter, right? Yeah. They'll say it's akin to um, having the window to their house open and someone sticking their head through the window and yelling at them, right? It's Twitter. An, 
<laughs> yeah, but they view it as an invasion of their privacy when someone tries to send them hate on Twitter. I mean, this and it's is not though because you're in a public yeah. space. Twitter is a public forum. This isn't like someone hacking into your phone and actually exactly. contacting you. You're right. Oh. You're using you're using like the public highway of information. It's, you're standing outside on a soapbox, really, mm. when you're tweeting something. You're tweeting it to the whole world, not just your friends, not just people that follow you. The mm. whole world can see it. Yeah. Appropriate segue that you mentioned uh, phone hacking there. Do you remember what a little event a couple of years ago that was called the fappening? The fappening. The fappening. Fappening sounds like a porn parody of what you're going to say. So I, I was going to ask, you know what it means to fap, basically. Ah. It's, I think it's an American expression for masturbating, right? Is it? So the fappening is fap. What do you call it? A portmanteau? It sounds like a Yiddish word more than anything. Wait, he was fapping all over the place. I think, is that what it's called? A portmanteau when you take two words yeah, and um, put them together? Yeah, portmanteau. Yeah, uh, it's that. It's fa- Not a Port fap. Talbot, a portmanteau. And what this was, I think it was maybe a dozen women celebrities. Yeah. Mostly of age. I think one or two might have been underage. It was a bunch of young, mostly actresses, some pop stars. Their private nude photos of themselves that they took on their iPhone, that got leaked to the internet. When you take a photo on your iPhone, it doesn't just get saved to your phone. It gets saved to an iCloud, the iCloud, which is a cloud. Clouds are, um, they're like servers, aren't they? Yeah, cl- clouds aren't actually clouds. They're basically like the physical servers. But yeah, they're it's off- physical memory off-site. Yeah, and it basically, you, anywhere you are, you can save it to the cloud. doesn't mm. matter how much memory is left on your phone, what have you, that kind of thing. But the thing is, the cloud, because it's on the internet, it's accessible by potentially anyone. It's a physical place where memory is stored with the Wi-Fi turned on. You can get access to it the way... Well, I don't know if it was a user on 4chan, but 4chan was where the initial leak was posted to right and what they did was they successfully guessed the password to these female celebrities iCloud and it was the system you know how most systems if you get the password if you guess wrong three times you get locked out out, yeah the iCloud didn't have that I think it does now yeah after the fappening it does now but it didn't then right so they could just keep guessing and you can basically you can run a script yeah yeah, I mean that's basically what a lot of hacking is you you write a program that just guesses 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 yeah like a thousand times a thousand guesses a second of different passwords right so they gain access and but what the um, why bring that up right we are completely unaware of things like that right because the uploading your photo Mm. to the iCloud was a default setting and it's not like when you go in to your camera on your iPhone it goes oh by the way guys just to let you know we're uploading this to the internet are you okay with that it doesn't ask you that or anything like that what annoyed me Mm. about the fappening right was that the media narrative around it there was a real spoil missed opportunity yeah the narrative that came out of it was these women are really strong Oh, look how it hasn't ruined them. Oh. You know, oh, look, Jennifer Lawrence is like, oh, she's she's handling it so well, blah, 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 right? And it was a missed oh, opportunity. Jimmy. We should have been talking about what are realistic expectations of your privacy online in our ever more connected world, interconnected internet world. I mean... what? How you should you approach it? I mean, you know why the media did that. No. Why? Because it's easier to sell emotion than it is to sell fact. Okay, yeah, you're right, yeah. And well, that's that kind of feeds yeah. into um, the nature of what what the internet 
what effect it has on our psyche, how mm. we interact with each other on the internet. I mean, you're right. I mean, in, in essence, he said after it happened, no one cares. No one, no one really talked about it. Kind of like, no one than- pointed out. No one pointed out that look, if um, when a, uh, a female celebrity's sex tape gets leaked, mm. it doesn't kill her career. It makes her career, and that's why I was kind of annoyed Cause- that because they were saying, "Oh, look how it didn't destroy them," and it's like, why, why would it? destroy them. It might scare them away from the public eye, maybe. But, I mean, like, but they said we're, these are women that have been they've that, been to really sexualized yeah. photo shoots and things like that before. I mean it's not the same thing, I know, but the, the impact the internet has on us, right? In our interactions with other internet users. Because it's all anonymous, well most of it is anonymous, right? I mean it's mostly only really TV celebrities and things like that that use their real name on Twitter. Because you said earlier about how emotion versus rational thought we are far more inclined to share emotions of anger, outrage, concern, far more than emotions of joy, happiness, contentment. And so most of what you're going to get on the internet inherently, since we're all kind of sharing ourselves online, mm. it's mostly going to be hate. It's going to be anger, frustration. Well, yeah, it's where you feel like you've been aggrieved and you have to have your say. It's, it's, this is your forum. And as we said earlier, Facebook did that experiment a couple of years ago where mm. if people are taking in negativity, it will affect them negatively they'll be become negative and so the internet is often referred to as just a cesspit of hate i remember reading a uh, a new scientist article about because the idea of uh going like oh you feel angry just shout it out and get it out of your system the general consensus is if you get it out of your system it's it's seen as a better for you you're getting it yeah, you're, you're getting, getting out yeah but that's not actually true Oh, isn't it? No, no. What it does, it reinforces the actual oh. endorphins and the uh, and the adrenaline going through your system. Makes you feel good a little bit. Yeah, it says you're getting something out of this anger, so you're at, so it's actually validating it. Yes, yeah, so you get more and more angry, and it stays in your system. Yeah, self reinforcing. Yeah, just encourages more of it, and it's this to me because I didn't read. You know, nine, Orwell's nineteen eighty four is one of those books. You're sure you read it before, but you didn't really, yeah, and you that, only re- recently read that, it. That one minute or five minutes of anger type thing, which the is two a, minute hate. Two yes. minute hate, that was it. That's exactly yeah. what I think of whenever I see, um, I call them aftermath outrage videos is what I call them, where you don't see the altercation. You don't see mm. what sparked this fight, this shouting match. Yeah. You just see the aftermath of it. And then you get angry at it because yeah. it's normally in the form of racist white woman on a bus is the typical outrage aftermath video. Okay, like- and it, we have our little two minute hate where we point at the screen and that motherfucker like, do you know what I mean? And this is how quickly these things can spread. There was a woman on a plane. She was going to South Africa. And just as she was about to board the plane, she sent out a tweet. Uh, it was like off color, yes, tasteless yes. joke, right? Yes. Where she goes, going to South Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Oh, wait a minute. I'm white. Smiley face kind of thing. Not a funny joke, really. No, but not, ju- not it is funny just... at all, but it's a Twitter throwaway comment. It's just a joke. Whatever. Right? So she's... Idiot for writing it, but... She sends that tweet as she's getting on the plane. While she's up in the air, cruising 35,000 feet. It her... has a life of its own. Yeah. Her tweet is being spread around the whole of the internet globally. And it spread mm. so quickly, so fast. And people were so outraged about it that when she landed in South Africa, as she was getting off the plane, the police were there yeah. waiting for her. She got fired, didn't she, from her job as well? Yeah, she lost her job as well. Why the fuck does everyone have to stick their goddamn nose in everything? Well, this is what I mean. The internet encourages this. We're far more inclined to share feelings of outrage, of anger, than we are to go, I'm feeling okay. 
okay today. Oh, what? this person did something that's kind of tasteless and off color, but it doesn't really affect me. No one's ever going to say that on the yeah. internet. It's always going to be, look at this piece of shit. But from that thing, why the fuck didn't people get angry going like, yeah, fuck, AIDS is still a huge thing in Africa? Because rational reason thought takes time. Just outrage just mm. is instantaneous, right? And the internet, how is the, um, how does social media always sell itself to us? It always sells itself as be up to date, be first, yeah. get, to, get yeah, the news yeah. first. Um, yeah, on the, you're on the razor's edge of information. It's all about instant gratification, right? So we, again, the internet is encouraging us to not take time, mm. to not pause, take stock of things, to have careful consideration of things. It's no, 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 just be outraged. Mm. Just tell us how angry you are. I mean, it's, 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 it's pressing to a thought I always have is that not all information is news. No. Right. Yeah, exactly. and, and and the internet. I use it. I understand. I'm a hypocrite. We're both hypocrites in this. We, you're listening to this on the internet for God's sake, and we're posting it on the internet. We know what a tool yeah, it is. The right? irony's not lost on us. Yeah, I, just because you see something doesn't mean you have to get involved in it. And then, I mean, that was a very famous story. Mm. The, um, when did that that happen? What? I think that was literally about three years ago, something like that. Yeah, it, it was a short time. Ago. What's not so famous is the amount of uh, online bullying, cyber shaming, cyber stalking. Have you? ever had any of that no not really well i mean look everyone everyone on the internet is on the receiving end of hatred because like you said the negativity reinforces more negativity and so that's what it ends up being like but um you can if you really are concerned about your privacy online it's hard to rein it back uh there are ways i mean it's kind of if like if you and i did it now it's Mm. kind of closing the stable door after the horse is bolted because the thing about the internet is anything that goes up on the internet it's permanent yeah it stays like it's like an amber nothing can really be deleted off of the internet say you don't want facebook google what have you knowing uh what other websites you visit and things like that right you can do things about that you can turn off cookies on your web browser right you can't well oh yeah that's exactly what i was just gonna say a lot of websites will demand that because because their their income comes from the information they have on you, yeah. which is what cookies do. Cookies essentially tell the website, well, not who you are in terms of your name, but what no, your but, IP but, address is, yeah, what your this... history is. I mean, Google, they're trying to be open and transparent about it. And they do give you, if you're a Google Chrome user, you get um, incognito mode, which is where there are no cookies activated. It's mm. just the, the it doesn't let any website it doesn't give websites the usual information your mm. web browser would give away but that, the thing is that you can't save passwords or anything like that they're doing that after the after they Already built got, the road yeah and you're just kind of going like oh but they put flowers on the line there so i guess it's not too bad exactly yeah but i mean they are they are at least showing okay, some contrition yeah they're at least trying a little bit but what, what do you think are some of the pros and cons of online anonymity? Do you think people should be forced to actually just be who they are and like have your name associated with every post you make on the internet? And- I'll tell you one thing. I mean, having online anonymity makes it a lot easier than me wearing the Guy Fawkes mask every day. <laughs> but would you be cool but yeah, if, yeah. like, say the EU, the dreaded EU, say uh, they... Uh, they passed legislation that said um, you could only ever log in to a website through your Facebook account, say, and your Facebook mm. account had to be verified in such a way that it like is definitely Irish you. Like an Irish recognition or something. Yeah, it's definitely you. Mm. Would you be okay with that? 
You know what? As as a pain in the ass as it might be, you would get used to it. I mean, I think to answer the question, I would begrudgingly accept if I had to be me. But the reason I would is because I'm not a political dissident. Mm. I don't live in a country that really has a tyrannical government, right? I don't really have anything to be that afraid of. But I could see how in other countries, because what if it was introduced here and mm. say America? It would spread. That would go around. Every government around the world would yeah, probably it need, it enact a, that. It needs a tipping point on someone to buy into it. We're going to be talking a little bit more about political dysentery, how the internet can help political dissidents, but it can also hurt political dissidents as well. More on that when we come back. And we're back. And uh, as we said at the end of the first segment, there, we're going to be talking about a phenomenon called internet utopianism or slash cyber utopianism. I like the cyber utopianism. It feels very futuristic. I feel like like this was written in the 80s and this is going to be the future of what it's going to be, cyber. I really like the word cyber. I really like the word cybernetic. Was it New Romancer? I think it was. And what this internet utopianism, what it means is that there's this idea that the internet inherently, intrinsically, it can spread democracy around the whole world. There's this idea that because the internet is so pervasive, so disruptive, which is the marketing buzzword Mm. that internet companies love, that it it can destroy any authoritarian regime just inherently, just by being the internet. That's its power. So the internet is seen as the one item the one pill the one sugary medicine that's gonna fix the world yeah like internet utopians they they're basically just presuming that this is a power the internet has and um it's kind of it's rooted in the cold war myth of how it was the introduction of western propaganda the smuggling into the soviet bloc of typewriters photocopiers things like that so that political dissidents could spread their message more effectively, right? Yeah. And in the West, we kind of presume that that's what brought down the Soviet Union. It was us helping political dissidents bring down the Soviet Union from the inside. And that's not really how it happened. The Soviet Union kind of just imploded on itself. It, it collapsed under its own weight. Top heavy. It basically uh, was in a game of uh, keeping up with the Joneses' one-upmanship and it, mm. and it basically lost its footing. It just couldn't... Gorbachev realised they just couldn't carry on how it was going. It, it just mm. wasn't sustainable. It didn't really have anything like... There was a thing in... Um, do you remember East Germany? I remember. Oh, there was a Western... <laughs> there was a West Germany and East Germany. Yeah. So the West side was uh, freedom-loving capitalists. Mm. East Germany was communists, right? And uh, there was a, a radio station. Free Europe? Yeah. And there was also, I think, Radio Liberty. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And they would transmit their signals into East Germany, right, to try and expose the communist regime, spread yeah. their own propaganda, right? Yeah. Hey, guys, listening to this, we're free over here. Why don't you topple your government and you can yeah. be free as well? To try and, yeah, start a rise an uprising and uh, as Evgeny Morozov notes in his book The Net Delusion yeah it really didn't have the effect that we in the West presumed it would have and even today still presume it had because the way information broadcast information with uh, radio waves as much as you want to build a wall a wall won't stop the information getting in so I imagine some of the places on the border will get some of the information certain cities and towns in East uh, Germany yeah could get these signals right and um, what actually happened though as uh, 
Evgeny Morozov notes, in the towns where they got both forms of propaganda, Western propaganda and Soviet propaganda. So they could tune into these. Yeah, they got a mix of both. Yeah. Those cities and towns were actually more, what's the word? They were more loyal to the Soviet regime. You know, it didn't have the intended effect on them. It made them more loyal yeah. to East Germany. The hope was that they would see how superior Western liberalism and capitalism was and they would just automatically tear down the wall themselves. <laughs> Whereas in the towns where they only got the Soviet propaganda, mm. they were actually like pl uh, political dysentery was a lot more common in those towns than it was by comparison in the towns that were getting both East and West propaganda. Oh, you mean like they had the chance to, they had the chance to do the grass is always greener on the other side type and they could, they yeah. could dream. Yeah. And so the Soviets controlling East Germany, they cottoned onto this fact and they were like, okay, we'll just let them West, we'll the Americans, the signals. whoever, we'll just let the signals come in. We won't yeah. try and block it because I realized it was actually having the reverse effect. Yeah. Than what was intended. And because there's this myth that the internet just inherently helps political dissidents around the world living under authoritarian regimes. What a knock-on effect of that is our governments don't really support the political dissidents enough because we assume as long as they've got an internet connection, as long as we make sure they've got access to Twitter and Facebook. So it's a very much like uh, you know, we're not going to supply them with weapons or actually get behind them. We're giving you not even the tools but the, the infra basic infrastructure to why don't you just overthrow your Which government? We tend to think that just supplying that infrastructure is enough. As long as they've got access to the internet, democracy will shine through that's not <laughs> it's not how okay. it goes and we're kind of um we're letting them down because on the one hand we're saying yeah we're we're on your side and we want to help you but then we don't do nearly enough because um there's the idea that if we break through a firewall that's akin to tearing down the berlin wall we in the west we kind of delude ourselves into thinking that uh, okay i mean if we break through china's firewall that will end the communist party's stranglehold but, and power and it's like no it's not it's not but do, but uh, on the other side when they hack our firewalls do you <laughs> think they think of it that way as well like, no, like they just they're just trying to make life difficult they're shit stirring whereas we actually add this kind of patriotic tint to it we delude ourselves into thinking if we just get if we just allow a chinese blogger to write blogs that mm. will domino effect will kick in and the communist party will fall and of course we've had that we've been living in the, that myth for like 20 years or more now and it's not <laughs> hasn't happened it's not going to happen and the reason it doesn't happen is because uh authoritarian governments they've learned some things about the internet one of the things that they've learned about the internet is people are very easily distracted when it comes to web surfing you can very easily get somebody to click on something that has nothing to do with opposing your government standing up to your corrupt politicians and has a lot more to do with just killing time and just entertaining people online and uh, in russia the kremlin actually they produced this web show called the tit show wait you're kidding me that's a real thing i thought that was a yep. joke i thought it was like a live tv thing uh wait are we sure that uh tit in russian doesn't actually mean like oh this is, oppressor. the tit show is obviously an english translation it's probably not ah, the right okay. well i mean i don't know i mean a lot of russians do speak english so, the I mean, tit show. but um what this show it is, is the tits it's a guy who's basically he's pretty much loyal to the kremlin right yeah and he just goes around nightclubs just walks around moscow at night and just finds girls with big tits and just goes up and talks to them and, and the kremlin produced this and it's easily number 
number one most popular web series. Women want to have those tits, men want to touch them. Yep, it works. Tits sell. And uh, another thing that Russian, the Kremlin, invented was a uh, chat roulette. They did chat roulette? Yep. And they, the reason they came up with these things is they realized people were easily distracted online. So you could have someone who's a political dissident who wants to see the end of Putin, say, and he, they'll get distracted by the tit show, by chat roulette, I'll tell you one by thing. social media in general. I'll tell you one thing. The, the Kremlin certainly knows that I'll spend half an hour just to find that perfect three-minute video. And another thing... Authoritarian, uh, authoritarian governments can do to quell dysentery right? is they can set up a website to attract political dissidents. They do this? Oh yeah. They set up a website a honey trap. Do they call it freedom.com dot It'll have something to LN yeah, or something. That kind of like, yeah, it'll be like fuckputin.org or whatever. Yeah. And then people will go, the dissidents, they'll go to this website and then the government has all of their information, has their IP address, knows where they are. And because we've put so much of ourselves online they probably know who their friends are they probably have an idea of which of their friends are likely to join them on a protest or if there is going to be a violent uprising who's going to be part of it where it where they are where they like where they're organizing where they're likely to meet up and start this problem yeah see there's this this is kind of misnomer this idea that i've been noticing in a that as long as they've got twitter as long as they've got a access to social media change will happen this this is it's where inevitable it is. yeah i mean one thing Thing we didn't really consider like American government British government we didn't consider is Russia China they can make their own websites and they know more intimately what it is their citizenry wants from the internet what they kind of what they like what attracts them to certain websites they know that better than we do I mean and of course one thing because we're all interconnected it can be used for surveillance that that's the thing because you've got we're pissed off about companies are using taking our information but governments have access to it as well yeah governments criminals our friends well I mean I'm talking like the two the two polar opposites you think free enterprise you think government oppression type thing yeah but we talked about like that free enterprise idea of taking it and using it to sell you stuff and I mean it's not a one-way street I mean obviously websites like Facebook because you can start groups on Facebook you can find like-minded people and you can connect through social media that way right so yeah. there's there's a positive there of course where you can actually if you were organizing a protest say yeah using something like Facebook and social media in general you can increase the number of people joining you on your protest but the problem with this though especially in the west uh, the size of your protest really doesn't matter mm. like there was a, what, over a million people marched against the uh, Iraq war and it still went ahead yeah. anyway or even like the May Day riots or May Day marches and stuff like that yeah, hundreds of thousands of people. No one gives a shit, though. But almost like marches and things like that, especially in the West, are seen as backwards. Again, like, why don't you just sign a petition online? That's where we'll listen. Well, what they always say about these online petitions, change.org, 38 degrees, what have you, right? Mm. Is, oh, we got this number of signatures. We got 500,000 signatures. We got 800,000 signatures. It's not the number. It doesn't matter. It's the argument that you're making. I'll tell you one thing. There's something to be said. I mean, when it says sign up to this, uh, we need your signature. All I'm doing is clicking on something. If I yep. physicalize and write my signature to it, I feel like I've has, I'm more involved in it. You haven't actually done anything. Mm. You've just clicked a hyperlink. That's it. That's all you've yeah. done. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just the focus is on the number of people that click that button. When yeah. The focus should be on what is the argument? What argument are they making that substantiates their position? Yeah. Because if it's a crappy argument, if it's a shit argument, weak, no matter how many people have signed it, it doesn't matter. It's a crap argument. Get rid of all the peanuts because my kid has a peanut allergy. Well, things like um, ban Donald Trump from entering the UK. Oh, and it's like, God. what is the argument for banning him? It doesn't matter how many people mm. signed it. The danger is, like you say, you trick yourself into thinking, I did something worthwhile. And this is called slacktivism. The idea that just clicking on a button that really isn't, doesn't amount to anything and deluding yourself into thinking you've made a difference in the world. Basically, we've shown the internet cuts both ways Yeah. in terms of being a force for good, of spreading democracy, helping political dissidents who are being oppressed. But it's also, it can also be a force for bad. You can easily delude yourself into thinking that you did something when really you didn't. And you can also delude yourself into thinking that there's more people who agree with you than there really are. There's a, a slight worry I've noticed from um, traditional journalists, these people that came from print media. Yeah. They seem to be really concerned that, oh, online, there's too many sources. There's too mm. many websites. There's too many people giving their opinion, and it's confusing people. And the thing is, that's not really true. Most internet users, if they're using the internet for uh, as a news resource, they're only really going to one or two websites to get their news. So they, it's not really true that all these different opinions, some misleading, some outright false, it's not really confusing people because people are only going to one or two websites to get it, their news anyway. It's validating their opinion already. They're going somewhere safe for something. True. You'll find what fits for you. Yeah, yeah. it fits your narrative type of thing. But I mean, who has but, the time to search through everything to find... I mean, I like, I like, as soon as I read an article on, say, a given subject, I like mm. going to a different website that's a different ideological slant to it. I like, yeah. I like doing that. But I do that. There's kind of a purpose. There's kind of a purpose behind why I do that. Yeah. And it's basically because I'm doing this podcast, I want to get as many different opinions to help me form my own opinion before I spread it online. Do you think most people do use the internet as a news source? Or do you think they use it more as just a way to kill time, to just entertain themselves? I think when they kill time, they feel like they're actually gathering news. Like I've always said, just because something is information doesn't mean it's news. But I think I'm saying more in terms of people aren't really, they're not going on the internet to find things out. They're more just going to the internet to kill time. That's what the internet is to them. It's not a resource for knowledge gathering. It's more, I just watch videos of people borderline abusing their pets, people falling over and hurting themselves. Small note to CNN, reading out people's tweets. That's not news. Stop doing that. Stop trying to trick us into thinking that someone wrote something on Twitter that's newsworthy. It's not. But that's a trick. That's a trick um, all to kind of validate the idea that there's a back channel because the internet has this false economy of your information. You are the center of it. Are you, do you not notice yourself writing it? So your information goes out into the ether and the ether will take it up and go wherever. Whereas right. that, Like it's equal to everyone else. Yeah, whereas broadcasters kind of go like, well, write into us. Tell us what you think. Because... Like we say, the internet, as we said in the first segment, the the way the internet markets itself, it's always about mm. the speed. It's 
instant instant gratification get your news instantly it's at your fingertips it's so fast right but to go back to something you alluded to right about how people seek out the opinion that they most agree with Mm. uh, ahead of time anyway right that leads to the formation of echo chambers and i kind of think that's what the internet social media really is it's a series of like reddit you were saying yeah Uh, but because reddit's got subreddits Mm. the subreddits themselves are the echo chambers where dissenting opinion isn't allowed it's massively frowned upon it gets shat on straight away and so we're not really the internet's not really an educator in that sense is it no no it, it, it's it's a validator it's a yeah, it re- it's a concreter it's a va- the original point of this section here is the because uh, we're talking about the cyber the utopianism yeah do we feel like including ul- included ultim- in that ul- is yeah. the idea that the internet will make us all smarter yeah, More but informed. like with that utopianism, like what we have right now with the echo chamber and mm. the not emotion as an opinion or everyone having their say, do you think this is a utopia we're leading to or do you think this is the utopia we want? Um, I think people are a little bit duplicitous about stuff like this. Yeah. Where they say um, they want fair and balanced news. And then like, because you know the independent British newspaper that recently yep. shut down, that was their entire ethos. We're going to be fair and balanced because that's what people say they want. And then they went bankrupt. Do you know what I mean? They tried to give people what they said they wanted. It turned out people didn't want it. So I think there's um, people being a little bit two-faced when it comes to things like that. I mean, nothing ever, ever exists in a complete vacuum, right? So there's going to be some crossover where people of different ideas, philosophies, political ideologies are going to converse with each other. But the nature of the internet, like we said in the first segment, it doesn't encourage uh, careful consideration taking time to figure out what your thoughts are and what your argument is going to be. No, it's it encourages whipping out your information and then it encourages just pulling back. Outrage, really, more yeah. than anything else, right? And so when people of different I- ideologies, beliefs, converse on the internet, what normally happens, they end up talking past each other rather than to each other. They're just not really taking stock of what the other person is saying. They're just saying, well, look, here's my opinion. I'm, I'm this ex- narcissistic exhibitionist and I just want to tell you what my opinion is. I don't care what your opinion is oh like how i'm patiently waiting you for you to shut the fuck up and so i can actually say something exactly but moving on (laughs) (laughs) what were you gonna say no that was it (laughs) oh okay you cunt (laughs) fuck you pig i'm gonna rape you later like (laughs) that's how we talk on the internet and um there's also this kind of myth that if we ban certain ideas being expressed online say like racist opinions ah okay homophobia things like that right if we ban that from the online space oh that uh, effectively eradicates it from the offline space as well it doesn't wait it doesn't no it doesn't you Mm -hmm. haven't changed the world because you banned a couple of racists on your web forum do you know what i mean spoke a little bit in the first segment about does the internet bring us together because we're saying if you've got a different it homogenizes opinion, it doesn't bring us together right. it homogenizes so like-minded people yeah. it will bring together mm. but if you have a different ideology a different belief it's like last week when we were talking about like uh, the Japanese thing we were like the nail that sticks out washing. oh no the nail that sticks out is hammered down uh, and, I, and I feel like when you say a dissenting opinion you're hammered until you kept quiet but to bring this kind of background to social media facebook Mm. websites like that twitter and myspace even one thing i really don't like about facebook that um andrew Keane's the internet is not the answer kind of made me think about uh, brought to my attention it's monetized facebook has monetized friendship Mm. okay explain 
As in, Facebook is aware of the fact that people have friends. They like sharing things yes. with their friends. And they found a way of monetizing that, of being able to make money off of your friendship with other people and the fact you want to share things with them. So not me personally, but them, the company. Because this is the um, part of internet utopianism is this mythos that almost everybody can get rich via the internet. And that's not true. There's a kind of an idea of, well, as long as you come up with an idea, you can make a ton of money online. And that's not true. For every one internet entrepreneur that comes up with an idea that makes them a billionaire, there's millions of failed ideas, failed websites, failed phone apps. And really what the internet does, it's a, uh, a winner-takes-all kind of effect comes into play where there will never be a rival to Netflix. Like, mm. And when I mean rival, I mean Netflix will have 60% market share and then, then there's big rival that's got like 35% market share. That's never going to happen. I mean, Netflix will dominate it completely forever. Who, I don't know anybody everyone i know has a netflix account no one i know uses amazon prime i don't know anyone who's used amazon prime that wasn't tricked into it you know how amazon when you're you, you're on amazon buying stuff like yeah. you normally do right and then there's the big button this page comes up right yeah between you actually clicking okay and then your order being confirmed this page comes up that says are you interested in amazon prime blah, 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 blah. and there's a big button and you think that big button because you're not thinking about it like i say the internet oh. is all about quick rapid choices flashy colors you just click the big button because you think that's the next or continue button and it's not that's the button that signs you up to amazon prime the button the skip this bit that's a tiny little blue bit of text that you don't um, notice yeah it doesn't really stand out and that's yeah you accidentally sign up to that but that's the the internet is like that uh google in the uk has 91 percent market share in terms of online search engines nothing will ever rival it because that's a real drastic change the offline world of commerce mm. there was a lot of room for a number of players and these companies that were successful in what i kind of now call the old world they were companies that would hire hundreds of thousands of people right mm. my gripe with internet companies like take uber uber's valued at like 40 billion it's worth it's going to be worth 40 billion dollars right where I the mean, fuck did that evaluation come from to hell with uber all uber is it's just a it's a mobile phone app that's yep. all it is and the drivers they're not employees of uber they just they're just idiots with a car Uber valued itself. I think it was because there were certain investors were willing to invest a certain amount, and that's yeah, where no, the evaluation came yeah, from. Yeah, it's the futures market but that Uber, basically said it was going to be this much worth this much. Yeah, and it didn't fail after a year, so it was validated yeah. at it. But Uber only employs about twenty people, right? And a company in the old world. In the pre-internet days, a company worth that much would have like a million employees, a million people who had enough of an income to sustain themselves, support themselves, support their family. And the internet economy really doesn't allow for that at all. Uh, contradictory to the idea that the internet will liberate all people, right? Because it certainly doesn't liberate people economically. Uh, what the internet does is, in effect, it shores wealth upwards so all these tech internet tech giants like i said there's barely any they barely hire any employees right mm. so it's one guy at the top who makes billions and then you know they um they love this phrase in silicon valley disruptive technologies it basically it destroys 
a pre-existing industry, but they wouldn't call it a destruction of the industry. They would call it a revolutionizing... Oh, a fracturing, yes. Yeah, and not really. I'd be okay with that if it meant these big internet companies were employing lots and lots of people and providing them with an income and a way to support themselves. I'd be fine with that. No, zero-hour contract yeah. bullshit again. But what disruption technology really does, it destroys pre-existing industries. So Uber, mm. wherever Uber goes, the taxi industry that was there before it gets destroyed. And, and a, another example would be Instagram. Mm. The effect Instagram had on... Against Kodak, yes. Yeah, Kodak. So we've moved away from physical film to just digitising photographs. I would just get my fingers dirty looking through these pictures. That's tens of thousands of people's jobs gone right Mm. there. And I think at at its peak, Kodak had something like 400, maybe 500,000 employees versus Instagram. I think Instagram has like 33 employees. Mm. We're not even taking into account, say, the giant chemical industries that were providing the uh, chemicals to... To process this stuff. Another part of internet utopianism, the myth, Mm. is that we all have equal share of power and influence over the internet. And we, doing this podcast, we know that's not true. No. We get, what, like 20 plays an episode, maybe, if we're lucky. Like, we don't, our audience barely exists, right? And it's not, you're not really... I don't even listen, and we reference that a lot. You're on an even playing field in the sense that the startup costs of doing a podcast, right, Mm. have come down dramatically, yeah? But to market yourself is getting more and more expensive, and there's fewer and fewer big players. What's your take on uh, bit and the effect on Hollywood, on uh, mainstream music, record labels. Do you think it was positive, negative, neutral? Well, like, I I occasionally use BitTorrent for... We've all done it, yeah. Yeah, We're yeah, all guilty. I, yeah, I occasionally use it for watching an episode or something. But I have this kind of moral code where... I'll watch it, and if I like it, I'll buy it on DVD. Have you come across people, defenders of online piracy, that will insist that actually it's had no drastic effects on the industry at all? It certainly changed the music industry more than anything. It's all back to live. Yeah, that's where they make their money. I see all the time people going, online piracy revolutionised the music industry. Mm, Not really, not really in a positive sense. Yeah, to to a negative one, yeah. In the old days, there were two revenue streams. Say you wanted to be a musician, you wanted to earn a living through writing, making music. You had two potential revenue streams in the past. One was going out gigging, doing live gigs. The other revenue stream was licensing, selling your music. So instead of playing it live, gigging, you just write a piece of music, you record it, and then you sell it on. That revenue stream the second one no longer mm. exists if you want to be uh if you want to make a living doing music you have to gig all the time continuously but i mean do you do you think online piracy is theft i see this argument back and forth all the time i think, it's, I think time. it's treated like theft i think in the eyes of the law but you like you the, the argument normally is phrased as it's not stealing it's not theft it's oh, just it's copying, copying right yeah i always this is my answer to that argument right say i don't steal say i copy your identity and then i go take out i go get a bank loan of like 25 grand but i get it out in your name so it's on you now technically i've not robbed you of your identity you're still you Mm. all i've done technically is copy your identity but i would love to see someone stand up in the court in front of the judge as the judge is going i find you guilty of thieving this person excuse me judge excuse me uh technically they didn't steal my identity they only copied it (laughs) like i'd love for someone to make that argument and those notes they 
took out of the bank were counterfeit. <laughs> Does it illustrate my point, though? Yeah. No, I, 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 I understand. I don't have to deprive you of a physical object to have robbed you. Mm. And online piracy, um, if you look at how much revenue the uh, Hollywood say... Mm. How much revenue they were taking in in the late 90s versus how much revenue they were taking in, say, the late noughties. They were decimated. I think it's like around, probably around half of the money Hollywood used to make in the late 90s. Today, they're only making about half of it. Mm. But then it's definitely, you cannot deny online piracy. You also have to look at the inflation in movies. So, yeah, there's this myth that people, everyone's equal on the internet. We all have equal sway and influence, and that's not really true at all. But um, these big tech giants, the Facebooks, the Ubers, the Googles, they hold far more sway over the internet than anybody else does, right? But I'm saying people kind of delude themselves into thinking, because I have an internet connection, I can be a big player too. But I'm saying, do you remember SOPA? SOPA, it rings a bell. It was a bill that um, the American government tried to pass where uh, it was basically, they were trying to stop online piracy. They were trying to stop it dead. Yes, I remember this. And there was concern that it would affect uh, a lot of websites that don't have anything to do with piracy. It would negatively affect them as well, right? And Mm. then a lot of internet users got really... uh, upset about this and objected to it opposed it and they too convinced themselves that because there were such great numbers of them these internet users that they got the government to abandon it but it's not true (laughs) what it really was it was websites big websites like facebook wikipedia uh, reddit they all did the blackout yeah so you'd go to their website and the page would be black i remember wikipedia doing that and i think wikipedia had the most influence because we know politicians love wikipedia they love editing their own page and we no, they really love editing the pages of their political opponents and they go back and forth back and forth because it's such an open so, forum and i think wikipedia was the one the real big game changer where politicians went oh my god i can't i can't edit my opponent's page anymore it's blacked out what's going oh they really don't like sopa okay we'll abandon sopa then <laughs> How will they know that my opponent likes fucking unicorns? <laughs> they are, they have really powerful PR techniques, these tech giants, these Silicon Valley tech giants. You've heard the phrase, the sharing economy before, I'm sure, right? I've heard of it. Can you break it down a bit This more? is This is the idea that Uber, Airbnb, these disruptive internet technologies, uh, what yeah. they're doing is they're getting us to share more. And it's kind of sold to you almost in a, almost kind of an almost socialistic principle of what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine, we share these things. But it's a complete lie. Uber isn't sharing. If I have a car mm. and then I download an app that allows you to hail me down and then you pay me money for me giving you a lift, I haven't shared my car with you. I charged you for it. Mm. That's not sharing. And if, no, if I... likewise, if I have a spare room and I charge you 50 quid, to stay in it for a night. I didn't share my spare room with you. And uh, Airbnb and Uber, they basically kind of go like, well, you used our structure to get this person to come to you. So I think we'll take 35% at the yeah, very least. Exactly. Of it. Yeah, it's um, they're, they're, they're doing the least whilst taking the most the biggest cut that they can for not really doing anything it's not sharing it isn't sh- you're not sharing anything it's still the same old monetary transaction there's no sharing involved. No, as, as i said what they're doing is they're creating a middleman's middleman market yeah but i think in their minds they've got rid of the middleman but what they really what they uh, a lot of the silicon valley the ceos behind these companies they're like hardcore ayn rand libertarians Oh my god, they want such a fucking idiot. They basically, they're just trying to skirt government regulations. All, all of their entire business model is based on two things. One, collecting data and information on their users. 
and then they'll turn around and say they'll when the government comes along and says do you know we, we want to get rid of these encryption technologies facebook and google will be the first at the door to say no you can't do that the government can't mm. do that we're all about openness and transparency and then they're secretly performing experiments yeah, well, on I mean, their users and it, shit it, at the it, same it, time the, this libertarianism in businesses come across as going like fuck the government yeah. we can set up our own little government we're rebels how would you sum up the internet's impact on us as a society? I feel the internet is putting, putting back stabilizer wheels on the bike. It's kind of like we've forgotten all of the lessons of history with the internet. and We've kind of rebooted and then we're learning these things again. Mm. We're learning, like, oh, actually, government regulations do exist for a reason. And actually, just being completely unfettered, a lot of some people can get hurt by that. Mm. It could be great for a small handful, but there's another group of people that are getting really harmed by it. No, it's basically the idea of the anonymity of the internet means it's not so much that you're free to do whatever you want, we're free to ignore the shit that's happening. Yeah, I think that's um, there's this concept of. in the context of cyberbullying, right? Yeah. Say there's a, a video that goes viral, it's really embarrassing for the subject of the video, and they're getting a lot of harassment, they're getting laughed at day in, day out on social media, yada, yada. There's this concept that the EU's come up with of the right to be forgotten. Mm. So uh, in real terms, yeah. in real terms, what it would mean is Google and all the social media, media have to sites. delete it after a certain yeah, amount of time. Exactly. They'll be instructed that if anyone posts it again, they have to take it down as quickly as possible. So mm. the victim, if you will, won't be harassed continuously for the rest of that. Like I said, anything that goes on the Internet doesn't get deleted. It's there forever. But I mean, in essence, I, that's that's a childish understanding of doing so. You're not actually curtailing this. It's almost validating the idea of you can bully someone, but don't worry, it'll go away soon. You need to stop bullying. Yeah, that's um, it's a that's short the ultimate term, thing I see from that. It's a stopgap solution, really. Yeah, it, it's. But I mean, to sum up, right? I think the internet uh, to kind of do the middle of the road fallacy thing. It can be a force for good. It can also be a force for bad. I mean, um, for example, one good thing about the internet, it gives everyone a voice, including us, and we're using that to the fullest with this podcast. But YouTube, for example, is a great platform, right? It's a huge Mm. platform that you can get yourself out to the world. But like I say, only a minority of people are ever going to have success on YouTube. It's never going to be everyone gets their five minutes of fame. You can, like, we might not ever go anywhere with this podcast, ever. The internet has enabled me, with a little bit of startup capital... To kind of figure out, how do I make a podcast? Mm. How do I edit a podcast? What equipment do I need? What's an XLR cable? And like, do you know what I mean? The, the internet can help develop new skills for people. It can help people explore their hidden talents. Uh, another good thing about the internet is it can be very useful for political dissidents who are living under oppression. It can also be bad, yeah, as we said, no, the it, government can turn it around on them a little bit. The internet can, in potential, create an open forum. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what But it can't control what people come to it and what people take from it. Yeah, um, I mean, it does promote lowest common denominator, right? But I think that's a a reflection of ourselves. That's what we want the most, and that's what the internet gives us the most. That's been around for ages. TV, same thing, radio, same thing. TV, newspapers, books, everything like that. We all know what sells, but we also know why you have editors, you have publishers you have broadcasters that know this and they know they have to educate the audience yeah unfortunately and that's what i think is required
required and a better education of what the internet is, what what the perils of the mm. internet are, and parents have to take much greater interest in what their kids are doing online. Yeah. That's definitely something that needs to happen. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to us two idiots prattle on and on about the internet. Hyman, did you get anything out of that? I feel... You feel? Yes, I do. We're recording, you got to say something. I did. I'm full of emotion. Oh, like we say, the internet's all about emotional outrage. And that's why you stick around, you cool kids and you cool cats. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, sorry about not uploading episode uh, 13. As That's all right. As it's an have. ensemble piece anyway, so... I'll be sure to upload this after episode 13, if I find the time. Really we cool. certainly referenced the last episode, so... I kind of need to do it then, yeah, true. <laughs> but, uh, thank you very much for listening. Hope to see you again soon. Ciao.